Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, and we are recording with the one and only Mr. Michael Vecchione on Saturday, June 4th, 2022, 3.23 p.m. Eastern Time. And the first episode without my concussion sunglasses. So if I have a seizure from the lights and die, uh, Mr. Vecchione has. I'll take pledged, over for you. He has pledged to not only take over, but also foot the bill for the funeral and console my parents. So I'd like, to thank, I'd like to thank him for that. But uh, today's, as all stories with Mr. Vecchione, uh, include either uh, semen, blood, drugs, guns, or money, or any combination of the five, and today is no exception. But before we jump into that, Mr. Vecchione, please introduce yourself. And for everybody listening, you have several books. We've gone over most of them. They're over your, uh, they're over your shoulder on the screen, Crooked Brooklyn, uh, Friends of the Family, uh, Behind the Murder Curtain, and you have some more coming out as well as the short stories. As always, those will all be in the description. Mr. Vecchione. Introduce yourself. Thanks very much, Tom. And I'm glad that you're back and uh, you look great. Doesn't look like the uh, you you won. I guess this the the concrete must have lost. But uh, apparently, apparently my hard head was okay. more stubborn than a brick. Well, my name I'm Michael Vecchione and my uh, I, I've been on Tom's show many, many times. And in my background, I was chief of the rackets division in the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office where um I'd spent, oh, probably about uh, 12 years and did every kind of case that you could possibly uh, possibly imagine. Before that, I was chief of the Homicide Bureau. I was chief of trials. And for about 10 years, I had my own law practice as well, where I represented uh, most of the time criminals um, who, uh, who some who, who knew me from my days as a prosecutor and, and um and others were, you know, new clients. Um, so, but uh, the last 13 years, for the, much part, for the most part, was my, uh, my time at the Rackets Division. So, um, and the case we're going to talk about today, not really a, a case. It's a, um, it's a, it's in a, I would say a, an event, a, uh, it's a strange series of events, quite frankly, it's involving actually, our investigators. It's actually kind of wholesome. I mean, not at face yeah. value, it's not wholesome in relation to the other stories that we've discussed. It well, is relatively you're right. wholesome. You're right. I was just about to say no murder, no murder, no mayhem. Um, you know, no, uh, there's some bad guys, but sure. uh, all one bad guy and um, and an investigator. And, uh, you know, when I wrote this short story, which I, I haven't published, but I, I wrote it anyway, I called it. The DA's investigator and the mob con man, a love story, which is basically what it turned out to be. And um, I, I have to say it was one of the more um, surprising events in, in a life of many surprises that I had as a, uh, you know, as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. So um, I, I'm not sure I ever had any experience like this before, and I know I haven't had one since. So um but uh, so anytime you want to get into it, you just let me know and I'll, well, I'll be well, happy to, to well, so, around. So as always not to just, I don't, cause I don't want to just give it away. Cause then why would anybody listen to the episode? But yeah, I was going to say like in all, at the end of it, they might, you know, someone might question why, why in the world did you say it was a wholesome story? Well, and I mean, in relation to the things we have discussed, your books, I mean, the murders to, I mean, how does, how does, um, how does, uh, uh, what is it? Is it Crooked Brooklyn, the one that starts with the guy going into the woods and like uncovering the body and crushing the skull with like a yes, yeah. So I mean, that's what I mean. It's like in real, like it's it's bad that police officers died on January six. It's bad that police officers died in the twenty twenty riots. In relation to Pearl Harbor and nine eleven, they're not bad. It doesn't mean that they're not bad. It means they're not bad and. There's fifty thousand, fifty-eight thousand U.S. deaths in Vietnam. That's bad, but it's not 
450,000 in World War II. So that's really all I'll say about this so as not to give it away. Yeah, like yeah. it's 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 good in terms in relation to normal like Fecchio and stories. But aside from that, man, just get into it. Well, um, I guess we start at um, start at the beginning, as uh, as the joke goes. Um, I was prosecuting a, uh, uh, a corrupt FBI agent who had retired many years before. And, and I got some information during the course of my time in rackets that um, that indicated that the that this FBI agent was um, was essentially on a mob payroll. For a mob family here in Brooklyn. And um, or in Brooklyn, I'm in Queens where I'm coming from now, but uh, but it was in Brooklyn. And uh, and and what he was doing is he was passing information to a particular mobster about people who were pet, who were giving who were informants, the FBI. And um, and oftentimes the informants were informing against this particular mobster and um and he would tip them off, tip the mobster off. The mobster would kill these informants. The other side of the coin was the mobster was giving information on other mobsters to this FBI agent. And there was there was gifts, sometimes some money passed. Certainly the mobster was getting paid by the FBI and the government. The FBI agent was in some instances sharing with some of the loot that this mobster was uh, was accumulating because he was allowed to commit crimes, allowed to commit murders, because the FBI and this particular individual agent looked the other way. Um, so that that essentially was the case, and um, we spent a lot of time investigating. And the it was not a secret that uh, that this case was um, was pending. Obviously, it became big news. You don't lock up FBI agents for four murders and um, and and as a participant in a mob war and and part of a, a mob family and part of a uh, and in the pocket of a mobster. Um, and you don't also hear every day about uh, a mobster basically being the kind of informant that this particular mobster was. Um, with the FBI. And I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mention names. I'm just going to refer to the FBI agent as a former FBI agent, the mobster who was, he was on the payroll of, um, I'll call him a mobster. Um, so the, so it was not a secret. I mean, it got out and when he was arrested, it was made big news. And, um, but what it does and what it did, and, and, and this happens many times and, and it has happened to me many times, informants come out of the woodwork you know, when um, when there's a particular case out there, which they think that they can make some some headway in in terms of for them for themselves, this particular uh, con man read about the case and he was doing 17 years in federal prison for a con that he had pulled with a couple of his cronies. And he was not a made guy in the in a, in a mob family. He was what's called an associate in this particular mob family. And his, his crime was, um, was he, he somehow was, was conning individuals in foreign countries, mostly Europe and some of Asia, that he had access to untaxed cigarettes and, um, and that he would sell untaxed cigarettes to these uh, individuals in foreign countries for a, a, a great discount. It's, it's... But of course... You know, for every con, Tom, I should say every con works because greed is at the at the the center of it. The person who's being conned is greedy. And of course, the con man is greedy. The person who's being conned is looking for something for nothing, essentially, or something for cheap. And and these these foreign business people and store owners, et cetera, that he was that he was conning all bought into his, um, you know, into his bullshit. And he was a pretty good, he had a pretty good rap, you know? It's the hidden hand of like the free market. It's the hidden hand yeah. of con bullshit. Like yeah, everyone's, yeah. everyone like don't, yeah, if, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and as it turns out, he had no cigarettes. He had no interest in, in, in selling or giving these guys what they had paid for 
all his interest in was, I'm sorry, all, the only interest he had was to make money. And he made a lot of money, he and his cronies, lots of money. And they were also gamblers. And they spent tons of this money in Atlantic City, in Vegas. I mean, it was it was clearly working for him. It, they were like a cash machine to this guy. So he went to jail for 17 years. And, and con men in jail um, uh, are always looking to get out of jail. Not that murderers aren't, but con men look to kind of to kind of pull a con to get out of jail in order to, uh, you know, to kind of get back into the life. And, and, and that's what he did with us, or at least attempted to do this. There's kind, so, of, a, there's kind of a meta theme because aren't cigarettes also like a currency in jail? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Sorry. yeah. yeah. There's the currency in jail could be any, cigarettes are one of them. Yeah. Stamps are another, you know, for yeah. uh, letters and stuff, things like that. So, um, so he's in the can federal, it's in a federal facility. Hears about the FBI agents getting indicted and sees a, an opportunity. And he, he reaches out to, I don't know if it was, I think he might've been to me directly through a letter. Um, telling me that he had been an associate of this crime family, that he had been on the payroll of the mobster who was paying the FBI agent, um, and that he had many interactions with this FBI agent and, and witnessed the FBI agent committing crimes, taking money and doing things like that. So in spite of the fact that we had a fairly decent case against this FBI agent, in fact, at the time, that we indicted and we had a great case against them. Um, you never can have enough evidence. So you lose nothing by bringing someone in and talking to them. So we, we were able to, when I say we, the detectives in my, my office, were able to get uh, an order, a judicial order from a judge to essentially take him out of the federal facility, the con man out of the federal facility and into our custody which meant that when he came to Brooklyn, he wasn't going to be kept in a, jo- in a jail. He was going to be kept in a safe house with our detectives guarding him around the clock, 24-7, until myself and a couple of other investigators who were working on the FBI agent's case had an opportunity to debrief him and to talk to him and to find out what he had. So we, he, he, we bring him in and... Um, and I got to tell you, it was as if we had gone to central casting, you know, and, and found a guy who could play a mobster in, uh, in, in a movie. In the, he would have been perfect in The Godfather. I mean, it's, it, as <laughs> some guy that, that Sonny probably would have beaten the shit out of because he was stealing from him or something. But <laughs> this guy was, was perfect, perfect. He had the, the lingo down. He had the accent. He was... Um, you know, it was it, it, he, he couldn't have been any better in terms of what he looked like and what he sounded like. OK, it's like but it's like it when they was, say stereotypes, it's sorry, oh, sorry. Yeah, it's yeah. Like when they say like in every conspiracy, there is like a there is a shred of truth and every stereotype like it is based on something. Oh, without a doubt. Without a <laughs> doubt. I agree with you. I agree with you 100 percent. So um, so we we bring him out of prison. We bring him into the they bring him into the office. Um, but first they had to, I think he might've brought him in at night. So they, they brought him to the safe house first, the investigators. And then he spent the night in the safe house and came to me in the, in the next, uh, the next morning. So one of the investigators that was assigned to, to him, to watch him was a a female investigator, um, (laughs) who talk about being out of central casting. If you wanted to get a Brooklyn girl with the accent and, and the affect and and the way of speaking and the yeah and the way she dressed and my cousin Vinny-ish. Oh yeah. Oh this she was perfect. She was the one of the investigators who was assigned to watch the con man while he was in our custody. So I brought the con man in and I had a long chat with him. Some of the other guys who were working with me, we we debriefed them and um he had some interesting, interesting anecdotes and he, and he had some things that we could very well, might very well have been interested in, in using them perhaps even to testify at the trial. Um, but there were, there was, 
we needed to look into some of the stuff. You can't just buy a pig in a poke. You got to, you know, you got to take his stuff. We told him, listen, you have some interesting things. Let us, let us take a look at it. Let us interview the people that you say were, that you were giving us names of and, and check out the events that you're talking about. And, um, and he was, um, he was, he was okay with that. Now, why was he okay? Well, the longer it took us to look into him, the longer he stayed in a safe house. He wasn't in, and a safe house was an apartment that we had in Brooklyn, and it wasn't a bad. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Place. Certainly better than the, than the jail that he was sitting in for, uh, you know, for the years that he had and the years he was going to have. So... He was, um, you know, take your time, take your time. It's, it's and, like, it's, uh, I, I had friends that, and I did it too, where you would, even after you graduated college, you'd still maybe take like a three hour credit course online because every time you finished class for the semester, your school loan payments started six months after that. Yeah. So as long as you just kept taking one, that's, you that's just keep. Hey, yeah, go. I know I already got into medical school and graduated, but I want to take this freshman level class on uh, on astronomy at age twenty five. Yeah. Hey, just fuck off. That's why. Well, this is very similar. The, more, <laughs> the longer it took us to check this yeah. guy out, the better off he was. And and what and and he had this. And by the way, she was an attractive woman too. This 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 Brooklyn girl. Um, so he had her on on one. She was on one of the teams that was guarding him. And and we find and I, I got to skip ahead a little bit and then tell you what happened. And we find out that um, she was um, was kind of loosey goosey with the rules of uh, of the custody, which is what it was called. She would um, she would allow him contact with the outside world, meaning his family, some friends. She would allow him to talk on the phone with with these people. Um, she would allow him to um, to to get, quote unquote, gifts from his family, which were food and and food and clothing and, and and things like that. And they were also giving him money, which he had asked the uh, his family to bring to him. OK, what was he using the money for? Well, it turns out that um, he was entertaining in, in the safe house. Whenever this investigator, this female investigator was on, he was entertaining his friends. His family was up there. He would he would call and have dinner brought in and they would spend, you know, spend the evening together. And um, it, it was now, of course, we didn't know any of this until much later, but that was what was going on. And and this in, female investigator was taking part in this. She got to know his family. She got to know his friends. Uh, she got to know him. And um, and there a relationship began to develop. Now, I believe that he saw the con man saw a mark that she was she was perfect for this. He would test it, you know, and he would get something. He would test her with something else and he would get something in return. So he knew he had he had a soft touch here. And. Um, and, and I believe that at some point they began to, uh, you know, to have romantic feelings for one another. In fact, I know they did. Um, so we would, of course, unbeknownst to us, we didn't know any of this stuff, right? She never told anybody. He certainly wasn't going to tell anybody. And they were careful. They didn't do it when one of the other teams were on or when she was part of a, of a team in which the other investigator was, was followed the rules, so she came to me one day and she said, um, listen, he he has a problem with his teeth. He's got he's got he needs dental work and he's had the problem for a while. And the jail where he is, the prison where he is, I shouldn't say jail, the prison has been slow in, in getting him to see a dentist. And it's really bothering him. So what I'd like to do, she says to me, is 
I would like to have us take him to a dentist that he's got a dentist, you know, in, in Brooklyn um, and have the work done while he is with us. And, um, you know, while you're, you're still investigating and looking into what he's telling you while we're doing all of that, let us uh, take him to the, uh, to the dentist. I had never had that request before ever by, from a guy that was in a custody, let him go to a dentist, let him go to that. It just had. So I said, listen, I, I need to speak to your bosses, the investigators bosses to see whether or not it's allowed. I mean, I'm not in charge of the investigators. I was, I was doing my thing. They were the ones who were calling the shots and there's rules for custodies because a lot of bad things can happen if, if custody rules are not followed. Escape, for instance. Um, somebody getting hurt, another reason. So um, I contacted, uh, I, I spoke to the chief investigator. <laughs> he was, he like shook his head. He said, what? The dentist? It's not impossible. We could do it. But um, let's wait and see what you're going to do, whether you're going to need him, because then if he's going to be here for a while, we can schedule it, you know, at our convenience. There's no rush, et cetera. So I kept them. I kept them. And I, we, I, I brought him back into the office a couple of times, asked them other questions. We needed to kind of pin him down on certain things that he had told us. Um, and all of this time he was, you know, he was kind of living it up at the, uh, at the safe house. And um, there, it got to the point Tom, when, where myself and one of the other guys who was with me on the, on the FBI agent case said, you know, something, none of this shit checks out. Yeah. I, this guy is basically full of shit. He's conning us. He may have known the FBI agent or seen him around and, but he's got no hard information about the guy committing crimes or, or engaged in corruption. It, it, it's, he, and it came to it, it finally dawned on us that he was conning us. He was he was looking for a quote unquote vacation from the prison he was in. And he wanted us to take care of his teeth for him. That was basically, I think, the, the, the kind of the the nut, the nub of what he was uh, why he was out with us. Right. So I didn't even bother with with the the dentist stuff. I said, listen. Take him back. Let's not um, let, let's not hold him in the safe house any longer. Too much. Too, it's too dangerous. Keep in mind, also, the guy's a mobster from Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. The safe house was in Brooklyn, so you know he they, he could have made contact and was making contact with his friends. For all I know, they could have showed up there with shotguns and machine guns and and blasted him out. Way, yeah. Way out of there. So I said, let's let's get him out of the safe house. We don't have to send him back to the federal prison right away. Let's keep him in. I think we we brought him to either Rikers Island or the Brooklyn House of Detention to um, you know to to hold him until we were ready to bring him back to the prison. Until we fi- made a final de- definite uh, decision that he was not of any use to us. So that's what we did. Um, we and and things were, you know, kind of going along very smoothly. There was no uh, no issues at all with him. He was in the jail. We were doing our thing until I get a um, until I get a call one day from the warden of that place where he was. And- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And he tells me that the con man was getting, uh, had a regular visitor. Uh, on his visitor's log. And it was your, they said it was your investigator. So we, we were, you know, taken aback at that point because we didn't know anything about, and we would say, why is she going to visit this guy on a regular basis? Um, We also find out from the warden that they intercepted letters 
that she was writing to him. And the, ju- the jails do this all the time. When someone gets a letter, they look at it first before they, they give it to the, to the inmate. And vice versa, the inmate has to give it to the warden or to the somebody who checks it out before it goes out to, um, you know, to the to whoever the, the letter is addressed to. He tells us that there's that there's a series, there was a series of letters between the two of them. And that now, for the first time, we had evidence of a romantic relationship that had developed between the, the con man and our female investigator. I am sure, Tom, that he couldn't care less about her and that anything that he told her was total bullshit. And she mm-hmm. fell for it. She was single. I mean, she was not a she was not some 20 year old. She had been on the job for like 15 or, or 17 years. I mean, she was in her mid 30s, maybe early 40s. Um, and this guy won her over with his with his con man bullshit and um and they they were they were planning something and the dentist situation the teeth situation which he never stopped complaining about by the way even when he went to the jail the new york city jail he would contact our office and talk about don't forget you got to take me to the dentist my teeth don't send me back you know until i get my teeth taken care of my dentist is here in Brooklyn. He's ready to do it. You know, you can take me all under guard. You can handcuff me, all of this stuff. And we didn't realize that that was not only semi-legitimate, but there was a, there was a, a, a very good reason for that to, um, to, for him to, to, to harp on that and to want that. So we, um, I contacted the chief investigator. I told him about the letters I told him about the visits and he was he was shocked. He had no idea that one of his officers was was involved with this. And then we got the letters. <laughs> and um, the the after looking at all of them, basically, it laid out this very, I don't want to say elaborate, but kind of clever plan that um, that the the con man and the female investigator were hatching with her, her visits to him in jail, their letters with her, um, her, Oh, and the other thing was, we also found out that she was now a regular visitor at his relatives homes. She would, she got to know his family. She would go to dinner with them. She would visit their house. She would spend time with them. And so, so he was really, really kind of developing this, this entire relationship, or at least trying to develop this relationship. And she was, in my opinion, falling for this bullshit hook, line, and sinker. So the letters laid out something which none of us had ever seen before. This, this, is, this is what they, what the plan was. He was going to continue to contact us about, uh, about the dentist, while he was in the New York City uh, jail. She, from her end, was going to come to us and had, and and she had once or twice before, but she was gonna come to us and and tell us that she wanted to be part of the team that took him because she felt responsible. She felt, you know, that he he had, had, had been a good custody, didn't give anybody any trouble. And she wanted to help him out before he went back to the federal prison. And she would she would take him to the to the uh, to the dentist. She would be part of the team that would take him to the dentist. So that was part of the plan. He was going to complain often enough. She was going to offer her services until a date was set for him to be taken out of the New York City jail and transported to a dentist, his dentist, which was in either Bensonhurst or Bay Ridge, somewhere in, um, in South Brooklyn. Um, and this is what the plan was. She was, um, she was going to be there at the dentist's office. Um, even though she might that day, she wasn't, I'm sorry, let me correct myself. She had arranged or was going to arrange to have two other investigators 
take him to the dentist office. That's what it was. She had, she was going to come up with some excuse on that day, even though she was, she was constantly bothering us to take him to the dentist that day, whenever it was, she was going to have two other, she was going to beg off, say that she had some other thing, something else to do. And two other investigators would take him to the dentist office. The plan was while the con man was, was in being taken care of his teeth being taken care of by the dentist, he was going to ask the dentist to use the bathroom. Now, this was all set up ahead of time. The family, his family had gone to the dentist and said that when he comes, this is what we want you to you allow. This is what we want you to allow him to do to go to the to go to the bathroom. Now, I'm not sure if they fill the dentist in on the entire scheme, but um, and they and they. <laughs> And they wanted the dentist to have a, you know, the, when you take a urine sample, you get a little cup. They wanted him to have in a dentist's office, make sure he had some of those in, in his bathroom. And this guy, obviously, knowing that these people were, were organized crime connected, the dentist is not going to say, you essentially go fuck yourself. Huh? He probably, and he did, he agreed to do this. So the plan was, was this, he'd be working on his teeth. Finally, he would say to the dentist, I've got um, I've got to go use the bathroom. Unbeknownst to the dentist, the investigators or anyone else, the female investigator was going to be parked right outside the dentist office. The con man's the plan was for the con man to go into the bathroom to take one of the sample cups and to ejaculate into the into the cup so that his semen would be captured in the cup. He would seal it. And he had the dentist now as part of this, the dentist would then call the investigator and let her know that the cup was ready to be, to be picked up. And and they arranged for a place for it to, to be put so that she could come in, grab it, without anybody seeing her. And then she would rush and get back in her car and rush across Brooklyn to, to her fertility clinic where she had been practiced. She had been uh, under care and she had been preparing for all of this. And what they were going to do then is they were going to inseminate her with this guy's sperm so that she could have his baby while he was in jail she would raise the kid, and when he came out of jail, he would come and become one big happy family with her. His family would be there. She would be living with his family all during the time that he was finishing up his, his, um, his, his time in jail. And, and keep in mind, Tom, they also thought that we were going to buy the, his, his testimony. You know, when I say buy, that we were going to accept his testimony and perhaps, and what he wanted in return for when we did that, he wanted a letter from us saying to the judge in his case that he was, in a spe- he was a special cooperator. He had given information against his FBI agent because his lawyer was then going to make a motion to have his sentence cut based on, the, uh, based on his cooperation. So that was the plan. The plan was, was and this was all supposed to happen while he was at this dentist. So the teeth, I'm not even sure to this day whether he had a problem with his teeth or if it was just a convenient, if she picked up on the on the idea that he really did have a problem, she had fallen in love with this guy. She had a, his family wrapped around her finger or they had her wrapped around their fingers and she was now going to have this guy's kid while he was in jail. That was her plan. And, um, and it was all, all planned out. It was all staged while he was in the city jail, awaiting time, waiting time, away, awaiting his return to the federal jail. She had to do all of this, these machinations in order to get them to get this all set up. And, um, and she, she fell in love with this guy. She she became part of his family 
She became part of his life. She became part of his quote unquote social circle. If there is such a thing like that while someone's in jail, but that was the plan. And, um, and she was using us and his, his, um, his, 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 visit to us, you know, this, this bullshit visit about having information against uh, the FBI agent in the hope that he would, he would get a, a cut in his sentence, a, a reduction in his sentence. And, um, and when we, we found out about it, it was, it was, it was shocking. Um, Dad, you're going to ask a question. Aren't conjugal visits a thing though? Conjugal visits? Yes. What, but you have to be married to be Oh, okay. Have a conjugal visit. I don't and know I'm not that. sure if the federal facilities allow conjugal visits. I don't know. Some that. state facilities allow conjugal visits. And those are earned by the uh, prisoners who are quote-unquote model prisoners. Yeah, who who follow the rules, etc. This was this mm-hmm. I'm not I you know, I never found out. I never found out. I guess she didn't want to take the chance of having sex with sex with this guy while she was guarding him. Um, it was, too, I guess, too much of a risk for her to, um, you know, to, to have sex while he was in the safe house. <coughs> More than likely there was someone else there all the time with him. But, um, uh, but that was the plan because I, I, unless of course they thought that I was going to accept this guy as a witness and he'd be in that safe house for the next several months and then they would set up a time when they could have a quote unquote conjugal visit in the safe house. But that was, I, uh, that was not possible once we sent them into the, into the city jail in preparation for him to go back to uh, you know, to the federal facility. Um, We had the chief investigator was absolutely totally embarrassed. I mean, I had to go to the DA and tell him the story once we got all of this stuff and he was, uh, I, I know I know a lot of people use this word, but it really fits perfectly. He was mortified. It was um, it was something which we all said, what? This has never happened before. When the chief investigator was part of that conversation, um, the district attorney told him, you got to call her in and, um, and and let's let's look and see whether or not this is true. I mean, these letters indicate that this is what the plan was, but. You know, it could be the figment of this con man's imagination, right? So you can't just put somebody's job in jeopardy, maybe maybe liberty in jeopardy by locking her up if she was going to assist this guy in some other way that was criminal. You have to do an investigation. So the chief investigator started. <laughs> we had the letter. That was the start. He then, go, he then called her in and, and told her what we had. She gave it up in a, in a second. She said, yep, all of it's true. I fell in love with this guy. He loves me. I want to have his baby. He's obviously in jail and we can't get married. Um, and and, and, and I, I want to have his offspring ready, waiting for him when he gets out of jail because we are going to make a life together. It was like, are you out of your fucking mind? I mean, are you out of your mind? This guy, this guy, first of all, had 17. He was sentenced to 17 years. He had probably about, you know, maybe 14, 13, 14 years still to go. And he wasn't going anywhere, Tom. He was going to try to con his way out like he tried to con us into getting him a letter to to write, you know, to the judge to tell him he was a cooperator and and hope that he gets a a sentence reduction. And um, and she she was um, she was ecstatic, ecstatic about the relationship that she that had developed, that had um, that had, I guess, kind of was born in this crazy play, crazy situation of, a, of guarding a, a prisoner and then developed over the course of time while she was allowing him to have parties and, and dinners and and. Uh, you know, and entertain his friends and family while while he was supposed to be, you know, locked down in 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 our custody. And uh, she wanted to continue it. And she loved his mother. His mother fell in love with her. She loved his his re- other relatives. And and that was that was the plan. And um, obviously, when she admitted it, the DA fired her on the spot. And um, and and 
she, you know what she was afraid of? She was afraid that it would, the story would get out. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, they could have just got gotten married and then had conjugal visits and either she didn't want to do that because that might shed light on the fact that maybe he didn't want to do that and it was all bullshit and she was being used or more it was kind of like don't ask don't tell she didn't really want to know whether or not he was in it but i think yeah more than anything it was probably like she just didn't want it to get out you do you think as you sit here and you've you've done a number of these things and have listened to people like me and others do you really think that um he was ever going to get married to this woman? absolutely not and i think she might have known that well she might have she didn't want to, she didn't want to check and see if the fantasy was bullshit she yeah the 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 if if a dream is good but it's a dream who gives a shit it's real while yeah. it lasts or or she was totally totally just desperate hip, hip, yeah or hip, desperate yeah. desperate for her you know and you know um she now now we so we did we fired her, right? No but shit. the feds now took over the investigation because he was a federal prisoner. Yeah. And she had, you know, somehow in their minds compromised, you know, this this federal prisoner and um, and they and they investigated. Now, they didn't turn up anything. She was never arrested and never charged with anything. And and neither was the con man. I mean, what did he do? He was he was he was conning people, but he ultimately didn't get what he wanted, which was, you know, this a, a cut in his sentence, a reduction in the sentence, or maybe even more than that, maybe the opportunity to escape. You know, I, I never really put to rest the idea that he was looking for the right situation to perhaps stage an escape from that from that safe house. If, if she was on, maybe he would have conned her into into looking the other way and then or or hitting her over the head and knocking her out and then saying that he overwhelmed her and, you know, that kind of thing. And then and then took off. I mean, the guy, Tom, the guy was not the kind of person who who wanted to spend the next 17 years of his life in jail. He was going to he was in a position yeah. to do anything. Um, so all of those possibilities existed. And um and I got to tell you, when I wrote this, which is not that long ago, I did some research on her and um, and I found several uh, websites where she's listed, you know, um, I guess the social media websites and she's listed as single. So I guess the con man is not was not as uh, as a not as romantically involved as she would have liked uh, or or. Uh, uh, and it just it's just to me was a, a really sad situation. I mean, desperation was the way the only thing that I could think of is and she was she was just desperate, I think, I think for a, for a, a, a life for a change in her life. Sure. And this guy was desperate for something else. He was desperate to get out of uh, to get out of jail. You know, do, so, you, th- uh, do you think I should uh, think I should make a move? go after <laughs> i can um i can off the air i can give you her name then you can find her maybe um, and see if she's I'm if she's I, around do you like brooklyn you know brooklyn girls with not their- at all not really but i think it'd be a great story um <laughs> yeah, I gonna, yeah i was gonna say well history is kind of replete i mean for lack of a more progressive term i mean history is kind of replete with crazy bitches i mean ava braun marrying hitler knowing full well they're about to go shoot themselves yeah but then there's and then there are also like sad things like jackie kennedy knew about every one of jfk's affairs and he knew she knew and she knew that he knew she knew yeah stayed with him was still madly in love with him eisenhower eisenhower had a mistress during the war i think it was his secretary or his driver and she had a she would be whisked out because she was part of his like official i guess administration she actually would right. be, she was uh labeled as a priority to be put into nuclear bunkers in the case of an evacuation but mimi eisenhower was not i mean fdr had uh fdr had a mistress he was with her in warm springs georgia when he had a stroke and died but his wife knew and he knew she knew and she knew he knew it's kind of it is it's sad it's these guys that either through power of desperation of getting out of jail or just wielding the power of, 
hey, I'm the president. Yep. It is sad. It's totally abusive. El Chapo's I, girlfriend. I don't know if you saw that. Like a, who's that? El Chapo. El Chapo. Yeah. yeah. She actually came out earlier this year and said, uh, she was like, you know, interrogated or something, and she was like, I didn't even know he sold drugs, <laughs> which is yeah. just like, I mean, just a ride or die bitch. But like, it's sad. It's it's abusive, is what it is. It's emotionally but, abusive. You know, when you think about um, when you and you 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 see this time and time and time again with uh, domestic violence cases where a husband or boyfriend, you know, batters and continues to batter and the wife calls the police when the police come. Um, she says, you know what? I don't want to, pro- yeah. I don't want to press charges or they get further than that. They get to a courthouse and, and she says, I want to, you know, I'm not going to be a witness against the guy. And then he goes, she goes back home and it happens again. It happens again. I, 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 have another story that I'm writing was I was a defense attorney and I had someone the, the I was representing this woman who was clearly a battered battered woman it was it was a while ago before I even knew what the battered woman syndrome was and um and it uh and she was a a classic uh example of the battered woman syndrome she would just simply take it report it and go back and live with the guy because she was in love with him and they had been sweethearts uh, for a long time. He, he, they got married. He went off to, uh, to uh, into the army during the Vietnam era. When she came, when he came back, he was, as she told me completely, a completely, completely different individual. Yeah. He had been, he'd become addicted to drugs he was violent. He was all kind, of, and and it was all in her mind caused by the the well, the, yeah. the, the the experiences of war, and um, and and she ultimately had to kick him out. Ultimately, she couldn't stand. It. They had two kids, two boys. Yeah. Um. And and it, the way I got involved is one day, she had had enough. He had showed up at her apartment building. She lived in a city housing project, and the lock on her front door was broken, and she couldn't convince the city housing authority people to fix the lock and he would just walk in and um, and he walked in one day and she um, she got out of the apartment, got past him, went to the police station and she had an order of protection in her pocket. And when she got into the police station, she reaches into her back pocket, takes it out. And the desk. What's an order of protection? An order of protection is a um, is is a document that says issued by the court that orders the batterer, husband, boyfriend, whoever, a girlfriend, whoever is the, the, the one involved at the fifth of cuffs to stay away from and don't come close to the oh, like uh, restraining, person who is the restraining order, a restraining order. Yeah. Here in New York, you call it an order. Oh, okay. And if you violate it, you go to jail, you get locked up and you go to jail. So she walked into the precinct and was reaching into her back pocket, taking it out. And as she's taking it out, the desk sergeant says, Get you and that fucking piece of shit paper out of this off, out of this police station. Go work it out yourself. She didn't know what to do. She just walked out. She looked because she knew that he had the husband had been following her to the precinct. When she got out of the precinct, she didn't see him right away. And she walked quickly back to her to her housing project. When she got there, he was there and he had a he he started to the banger against the wall. And she got away once again, finally got to her apartment. But remember what I told you, the lock on the door didn't work. She, he broke into the apartment, came towards her. She was getting, the apartment was being painted and she had paint thinner on in the, in the apartment. And she dipped a, she rolled up a, a, a newspaper, dipped it into the paint thinner and turned on the stove and lit the paint thinner and had a torch and was, kind of pushing it at him, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. He kept coming and she just touched them. Not, not even close, just a little touch on his arm. He had long sleeves and he went up like a, like a Roman candle, ran down to a to the neighbor's apartment. She ran after him because that was not her intent. She wasn't in, intending to kill the guy. Jesus. And she found him in the neighbor's bathroom with a um, in a in a in a bathtub trying to put out the flames, and she started to put the flames out with her with her hands. She was a sculptress, 
and she burnt her hands beyond use trying to put yeah, out the that's fire. Some, that's some Greek tragedy, Shakespearean. Yep. Yep. And he died, of course. I, died I, represented, I, I got the call. I was, a, I was representing. I, at that point, I did um, what was what's called here is 18B work. It's assigned counsel work for murders. And um, she was charged with murder. And uh, I went to the hospital where she was that night where she was taken because she was burnt. She was completely yeah. burnt. And she told me the story. And it was it was um, it was unbelievable. And I then did the research into how many times this guy had been arrested how many complaints she had made, how many complaints she withdrew, all of them, until finally she had had enough. And, um, and, and you know, it was, uh, it's, it's a, really a tragedy. And I, and I didn't know, I, didn't, I, I had never done one of these cases before. And I did a lot of research, and I found a psychiatrist who gave me and filled me in on the battered woman syndrome. And um, she testified on our, on our, and this woman's behalf, the woman didn't do a single day in jail. The judge, the judge didn't find her completely innocent. He found her guilty of criminally negligent homicide mm-hmm. and gave her what's called a suspend, not even a suspended, a, uh, was a uh, conditional discharge. Don't get into trouble again, young lady, or you'll be back. Yeah. And, and that was it. She walked out of court and um, she, um, I don't know to this day, I don't know if she ever regained the use of her hands because she was um, there's a, there's a, a school in Brooklyn, a very, very famous um, uh, art school called Pratt Institute. And there, and it also has a, a section for artists and things like that. And, um, and not artists, I'm talking about musical artists as well as um, physical artists, sculptors and painters and things like that. And uh, she was, uh, she went to that school and uh, became a sculptress and, um, and then she she had this horrific tragedy happen and uh, and and it was it ruined her ruined her life ruined her life and um, and she told me she every time she sit with me she would break down crying she said I, I never I didn't want to kill him I loved him yeah. yeah I just didn't want him I didn't want him to beat me anymore yeah so so that's I mean that's a long story to get to the point of of what you were yeah, saying yeah it's, it's you know um, yeah so, I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm almost finished. I'm writing. I I started writing that story. It's called, I'm calling it the sculptress because I think it it works. It it works very well. And there's, there's a lot of other nuances to it too, that, you know, I didn't want to bore your audience with. You could, no, you you could call it, you call it nay palms. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's I, 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 I've interviewed Vietnam veteran. I'm sorry. I, I had to, um, well, well, it, you know what was a a wholesome story ended 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 with that um but yeah, I, I i guess we can't do this without no we can or no, but you know what involved you know much so. like a battered woman syndrome i've come to love the emotional abuse of these episodes <laughs> i've come to yearn for them um mike i got another guest in like two in two minutes so we got to wrap this one up um as always all the books and everything all that good stuff will be in the description and uh i will Good. text you when it's Thank up you. we'll set up the next one and uh obviously it won't be as long as a delay because i have no intention of getting another concussion yeah i'm um, sorry i'm glad that you're good no, thanks man no, I, I just i, I got to tell you one thing i just turned in um my my uh, the book i i started and finished after while i'm waiting for the 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 uh, homicide is my business to be printed the reason it's not printed yet is because I think I mentioned this to you. No paper. Yeah. The printer doesn't have paper. So hey. I, thank, uh, I thank the idiot in the White House. For Biden it. 2024. No paper, no baby formula. <laughs> but World War Three. And it will yeah, be delivered absolutely. to your doorstep. Uh, yeah, Tom. I, again, I'm sorry. I apologize to wrap this one abruptly. I lost track of time. Mike, I'll text it to you when it's up. We'll set up the next one. All your stuff in the description. As always, thank you so much, man. Take care, my friend.